0: as we continue to explore the meaning of the four living creatures that we discovered or that we presented from the book of Revelation, the fourth chapter. We saw them described as one having the face of a lion, the other having the face of an ox, the third having the face of a man (coughs) and the fourth Having the face of an eagle. They're in heaven, they're around the throne of God, they're the centermost circle, encircling the throne of God and the Lamb. And we've we've we're expanding out now. You might be quite surprised to find the book of Revelation frequently references other books in the Bible, notably the books of Daniel, Isaiah and Ezekiel. And the four living creatures show up again in the book of Ezekiel. This time they're not seen in heaven, they're seen upon the earth. Let's start with verse 1 of Ezekiel 1. Again, we are pursuing an identity and I've given you enough hints for you to conclude that I am talking about the corporate man, the body of Christ, a spiritual man who is the plenipotentiary of the executive authority of the throne of God. So they're the plenary potentiary of the exousia, executive authority, of the donamis, the power of the throne of God. These are the actual Greek words that are used to describe such things as the statement of Jesus, "...all authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth, go ye therefore." To whom is this command given? From the throne of God we're seeing the executive authority and it's given to four living creatures, four is the number of the corporate man. The presence of God, when it was on the earth, vested in and around the ark of the covenant, the ark was ported or carried, by four priests who slung poles, two poles, through golden hinges on the exterior of the Ark of the Covenant <coughs> and carried it upon their shoulders. A symbol that the presence of God was meant to be carried in a corporate man and the four living creatures around the throne represent that corporate man except that when they're seen in heaven, they're seen as spirit beings. Because they're no longer clothed upon in flesh, they're seen for who they actually are. Heaven is the reality, earth, is the veiled type and shadow. So when, when the glorified corporate man is seen in heaven, he's seen as the innermost circle of the throne, the one to whom the authority of the one who sits upon the throne might be given for the purpose of execution. The corporate man carries the head, who is Christ and is the executive authority in the earth and this is by design. This is not wishful thinking, this is not overreaching, this is not grasping, this is the design of God. But obviously, to be part of this potentiary, to be included in this plenary plenary or plenary potentiary, the ones who carry out this authority, one has to be made pure, made holy. You can't make yourself that way apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So it's the Bride and the Spirit who work together for the purifying of the bride, which is another metaphor for the corporate man, the one who carries. See, in the Scriptures the term, bride, is not a romantic term. It means the carrier of the seed, to bring forth the thing that is in the seed, in this case, the seed of God. The bride carries the seed of Christ, to bring forth sons to God and the sons of God, collected together as the corporate man. This is the design of God. We're simply peeling away the layers of this understanding while I go back and forth trying to show and connect the scriptures to these realities, to, in a sense, to 3D map, or I should say actually to 4D map the picture of who the believer assembled to the body of Christ actually is. In relationship to the times in which he or she lives and in relationship to the things that mitigate against your survival, you are not in danger, you are not lost, you're not meant to be tossed upon the whims of of time, or the tides of time, you're anchored in the eternal in a very fixed and defined view and from that place being anchored behind the veil as Hebrews 7 speaks of it. This is the security and certainty that you are to have now and this is why I'm speaking these things to you now, so that you will not be moved that you will be unshaken but you must experience a change of mind, a renewing of your mind, a repentance from the religious point of view that's clothed your mind, from that of works you may do to gain the approval of God, that sort of mentality of slavery and servitude to being restored, reclothed in the spirit of your mind with the truth of who you are, seen from an eternal point of view, reflected first in heaven and deployed upon the earth. That's why we're talking about these four living creatures. So come again then to Ezekiel 1. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God." Immediately you know that you're in the realm of the prophetic where God is speaking prophetically and of course prophecy has to be understood, decoded, and they're keys to the decoding. It's the way God uses terms and the association of terms to events in Scripture. Without developing those terms, let me just tell you, now it came to pass in the thirtieth year. Why is Jesus said to be at the age of thirty when He comes forth? Why is David anointed king of Israel when he's thirty? Why is Joseph released from prison when he's thirty? And on and on. Because thirty is the year of accession, it's the time when you're old enough to assume the role of representation as part of a royal priesthood, it's the age of maturity. So in the thirtieth year, the code here is, this is going to speak of maturity, a time of maturity. In the fourth month, fourth is the number of the corporate man, on the fifth day of the month, five is the number of grace. So there comes a time when the corporate man reaches maturity and is capable of carrying the grace of God. In this case, in the earth. And so the heavens opened, and I saw visions of God. Now, why wasn't it on the 29th year, on the 18th day of the month, um, or, or in, in the sixth month, or the eighth month, on the 28th day of the month? You think these things are just thrown in? because they fill up space? No, God is meaning to give a very precise vision that has impact in our time and so He sets it up in the language of the prophetic. These are not helter-skelter, casual things. That's why the untrained mind cannot comprehend the things of God. The logical mind is untrained in the things of God. It does not have an interpret. You see, we interpret things based upon our paradigms. The logical mind has embraced a paradigm of linear thought, of rational thinking, of reason. It, in that mindset, you cannot see the things of God, it's impossible. It's not that you're stupid, simply that you're not configured to the frequencies of heaven. So to a scholar reading these things whose mind is not renewed, he sees thirtieth year, fourth month, fifth day and they're just words to him. Jesus once said, Don't say it is yet four months unto the harvest, lift up your eyes and behold, the fields are ready for harvest. He he uses terms very precisely because that's how God talks to us. God speaks to us in numbers, in visions, in dreams, types, shadows, uh, examples, anecdotes and the like. Why? Because they present a consistent picture. You don't have to interpret them differently every time. So when the church, at the time of ruling, of coming forth with the sufficient maturity to rule, the corporate man carries the grace of God. So at that time, Dan, he, 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 the Lord chose that exact day, that month, that year, in that configuration to give a vision of God. The heavens were open and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of the king, Jehoiah's captivity, the word of the Lord, so this is a message of grace. Five, five, five. It's a number of grace. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon me. So Ezekiel was one of the other captives in Babylon along with Daniel. This was indeed a rich prophetic time in the Scriptures, for you have both Daniel and Ezekiel, you also have Jeremiah, speaking out of this time. No wonder the book of Revelation, which is sort of the bookend prophetically to these, quote all three writers extensively. So he said, Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north. The north here is typically hidden, it's a reference to the hidden. So a thing that was not has suddenly come, a whirlwind and a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. So it was self-contained, reminiscent of course of the day of Pentecost when there came a sound like from heaven, sound out of the north, uh, with cloven tongues like as of fire and brightness was all around this cloud. I might point out that the term cloud and great cloud is at times used to speak of the witnesses, the, those who have gone before in, the testi- in upholding the testimony of the Lord, many actually even to the point of their deaths. So there was this great cloud and brightness was all around it and radiating out of the midst of it like the color of amber and out of the midst of the fire, also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures." Wait a minute, let me guess, Um, a lion maybe? an ox perhaps, an eagle, you think, a man? Let's see, also from within, from within this cloud of brightness and glory came the likeness of four living creatures and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, Well, good lucky guess, right? Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. Now, it describes these four living creatures in their compendium and in their appearance to have the likeness of a man. This was their appearance, they had the likeness of a man. Right. each one had four faces, now that's different because when we saw them in chapter four of the revelation, there were four creatures, each, or, each one had only one face. One was like a lion, one was like a la- uh, an ox, one was like an eagle and one was like a man. But here, each one of these four in the likeness of a man, hence the corporate man. Each one had, in each individual member, all four capabilities, which tells us what? It tells us that in heaven you see the perfection of the picture where the spirit of the man is in all of them, the spirit of the lion is in all of them. But they're represented singularly because in heaven the closest representation to the ideal is what is is presented. And the point is that there is absolute harmony in the four because on the earth, when they're in a sense pulled apart and extrapolated, you see that each one possesses all of the attributes and in heaven you see that they are summed up in the four. Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. Again, I pointed out that when they were seen in heaven they had six wings, that's because on the earth they don't need one pair of wings to propel themselves, they're being propelled in another way let me give you a hint, they're being propelled by wheels and the spirit of the living creature is in the wheel and they're led by the Spirit in the earth, whereas in heaven they're in the presence of the Spirit. Each one had four faces, each one had four wings, their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet, they sparkled like the color of burnished bronze." Now, just some comments on this. Their legs were straight. The idea behind the word, straight, here, is the concept of, uh, upright or unyielding, un- unwavering. It's the it's the Hebrew word yasha. It literally means they 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 practiced equity. They were well. They pleased well with righteousness. They were straight they were upright in all their ways. So their legs were straight, it meant that their feet did not stumble over, um, uh, pitted, as it were, pitted road. In other words, their direction was not compromised, they were walking out, as it were, the divine standard. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. The calf was uh, th- typically a thing that was uh, an animal uh, that was to be sacrificed because it was a clean animal. So, the soles of their feet, a reference to their walk. Was not contaminated. They were, they were um, just and upright. In fact, they sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. Uh, bronze in the ancient world could have referred to as, could have been referred to as a variety of things like brass or copper. So they were like polished. Copper, which has a look of gold to it. Again, the emphasis on how uncompromised their walk was. The hands of a man were under their wings, on their four sides. So uh, they had the appearance of a man, they had hands like a man under their four wings, Their their feet were straight, meaning their walk was uncompromised, the soles of their feet were like calves' feet, an animal that could be sacrificed because it was a clean animal and they sparkled like burnished bronze. I might point out that this is exactly the same reference to Jesus in the book of Revelation, the first chapter, when John turns to see the One who was speaking standing behind Him. And his description included that His feet were like the feet of burnished bronze. So the connection to the One on the throne, the Lamb, who's clearly identified in Revelation 1, is unmistakable. And it's this remarkable combination of spirit in flesh, appearance like a man, hands like a man, but in appearance, here is what they are, it says, uh, "...as for the likeness of their faces," this is verse 10 and I've skipped two verses, I'll come back to them, "...as for the likeness of their faces, each one had the face of a man," each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side, each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side and each of the four had the face of an eagle. So the picture is, there are four four sides, on the frontal portion is the face like a man, so it's the face you will see. On the right side is a face like a lion, on the left side is the face of an ox and behind, where the back of the head would be, is the face of an eagle. Why? Because they see in every direction. Now I said that I'd come back to the two verses, "...the hands of a man were under their wings and on their four sides, and each of the four had faces and wings." their wings touched one another. It means that they were moving like a symphony, they were harmonious and there was no hint of discord between them. It reminds me of Paul saying, see that you all speak the same things and there be no divisions among you. Now this is a vision of a thing that already is. It's not, a th- it's not a thing to be formed this way in the future, it's a thing that already is. Therefore, when it's displayed in the earth, it will be displayed in this beauty of symmetry and harmony. What I'm saying is that this is what the the Spirit of the Lord is working to produce in the body of Christ. And although the body of Christ at this point is very disparate and separated, when it grows up in its thirtieth year, in its fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, on and in that appointed time, the grace of God will cover this mature man who is at that point capable of leading, the world will not hold an attraction for it because in its corporeity, in its unity, in the fellowship in the Spirit, it will have achieved a degree of oneness because it will be governed in all of its appearances and in all of its parts and in all of its forms by the mind of Christ. So we're back to 1 Corinthians 12 which speaks there of the body of Christ as the corporate man. The four spirits we have already talked about. Now we will observe how they move when we continue in this discussion the two wings thus were their faces their wings stretch upward two wings each one touched one another and two covered their bodies so we're seeing how they move together and flow together as one unified entity although they are a corporate man. We'll continue from there in this discussion. I hope that you stay uh, connected to the study because things of incredible weight are being brought out of the treasure houses of heaven. My friend Thamo Naidu once said, and when he said it, it really caused me to think about it, he once said, that we will plunder the heavens for its treasures until heaven has been emptied out of all of its treasures. I believe such a thing is happening, I think Thoma was right, this is the occasion to receive the plunder from heaven. Continue on, it'll strengthen you in these uncertain times. The kingdom cannot be shaken, everything else is being cleared out to make room for the ever increasing functioning and appearing of the kingdom of heaven.